You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Good morning, everyone. So I add my welcome to Daniels. My name is Colin. Really good to have you with us. Um, if you're just joining us as a visitor, um, we're just coming towards the end of our series in Galatians. We've got one more week to go after this. Um, so if you've got any questions to, uh, to catch up to speed, I'm happy to answer those after. Um, so in a previous life, before I was a pastor, I used to work as a radiographer, you know, x-rays, CT, that kind of thing. And the basics of, sorry, Daniel, the basics um, of radiography is, sorry, I've just turned it off, is positioning. So we have these textbooks um, that tell you how to position the patient. And the thing is, in, in the, oh, this is not going well. Let me just do it on here, but while it comes up. Thanks, Daniel. It, in the textbooks, um, they always use models who are perfectly slim. And like, you know, you can almost see the bones just by looking at them, never mind needing to x-ray them. <laughs> but the trouble is, in real life, you end up on placement and, and you realize if that's your expectations of how people are going to be, then they're all out of whack. Because in real life, people come in all shapes and sizes. And let me tell you, some people's knees are the same size as other people's waists. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and, and the radiographer's job is to try and picture them all, make them all look the same, you know, get a standard position. Real life, oh, there's the picture, that's what I was after. All models, slim models. Um, real life is um, 
is harder than the theory, isn't it? So what about the normal Christian life? We're talking about um, being led by the Spirit and in, in walking in the Spirit. Because um, in, one, in one level, um, knowing the theory is simple, isn't it? Christ died to save us from our sins by grace. And we've been seeing in Galatians that he gave us his Spirit when we came to believe. So um, chapter 4, verse 6, if you want to flip back there. Um, because you are his sons, this is our promise, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So we have the spirit in us. Um, it's his, it's, Jesus is in us and we are in him. We, we're united to Jesus by his spirit. Um, five, verse five, for through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So if, let's be really clear, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, okay? It's not some second experience when you, are, you come to believe through the Spirit and the Spirit comes to live in you as you believe. So what should we expect our Spirit-filled life to look like? You know, if you are going to imagine right now um, a really good example of a Christian who lives being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, who do you think of? Do you think of someone like you? Because real life is hard, isn't it? And this week, even this morning probably, we've sinned. You know, we've added to our record of wrong that we need Jesus to pay for. If we've got the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we be doing better than this? Well, so this morning we're going to look at what the Bible realistically expects the spirit-filled life to look like. And we'll see it doesn't have to mean living very quietly like a monk or a nun. It doesn't mean having to be exuberant and upbeat and having it all together all the time. We'll see actually that being led by the spirit, walking in the spirit, looks really normal. It looks like the kind of daily struggle that you and I experience. So we'll look like what it means to walk in the spirit, to live the normal Christian life that brings gradual, long-term, permanent change, the fruit of the spirit that we sang about, being more like Jesus. So it's really important to get our expectations right about this. Because if they're wrong, we could end up like the Galatians. We could end up being convinced to add something else to the gospel. Um, just some context uh, so you're, Paul is writing to counter false teaching that there's new believers in this new church plant in Galatia um, also needed to get circumcised and follow Jewish customs in order to be made right with God. So Paul's teaching, this whole letter is against that. Paul was reminding them they were not saved by keeping the law, but through grace. And back in chapter 3, he said to them, uh, it's part of his argument. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by stuff you did, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So they began with the Spirit, him bringing them to trust and believe in Jesus. And we continue in the Spirit. They continue in the Spirit. They shouldn't now go backwards looking for answers in their own works. Um, rather they should 
keep faith in Jesus and the Spirit at work in them. So, one of the first ways we know we're walking in the Spirit is if we are sticking to the same original gospel, the good news about Jesus. Standing firm in the gospel and not drifting into adding extra requirements in order to be saved. At last week, we saw that we're freed, freed from the slavery of keeping rules to be saved, and that external signs like circumcision mean nothing when it comes to salvation. We're free from ex- having to do these external signs, external things to be saved. So we're free. But what should we do with this freedom? That's the question. Um, I was going to say there's an outline in leaflets, but I've, as Jim said, my forgettery is getting as good as my memory. And I forgot to get the leaflets, so I'm sorry. First point then is going to be, if you are writing notes on the back of your hand, there'll be how to use your freedom, how to use your freedom, looking at 13 to 15 and stepping out, looking at verses 16 to 21. Okay, how to use your freedom first. How to use your freedom. Um, Paul begins this section starting at verse 13. Um, on this, this section, I'm walking by the Spirit very practically, very realistically. So, um, I understand it's a thing in South Australia at least, for schools to have a muck-up day at the end of year 12, is it? Okay. Now, or they used to, but most schools don't now. It's all very controlled. And why is that? Well, someone told me this story. I don't know if this is true or it's one of those ur- urban legends where they, um, the year 12s let loose three sheep in the school um, and painted on them with the numbers one, three, and four <laughs> so that the teachers then spent all day looking for number two. pretty good one. I hope it's true. I really hope it's true. But most schools don't have a muck-up day anymore because as soon as you say you don't have to follow the rules, our default is, let's just see how much I can get away with then, to indulge in destructive behavior. So the Apostle Paul writing this knows what's popping into their heads. You are free. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So, what is flesh? Flesh is a funny way of putting it. So, some translations have sinful nature. Well, in the Bible, um, my flesh is my humanity in its narrowest sense, without reference to God, my Creator. My flesh is my sort of sinful self, um, my own heart's desires. It's me. And the very practical opposite of indulging in the flesh is to serve one another humbly in love. Because if we don't have love, we don't have true freedom. At doing whatever you feel like doing, chasing after trying to indulge your flesh, It's basically what the world tells us life is all about. Uh, And the Bible has a real-life example of someone doing just that. If you want to know what happens if I can, if I could really just indulge myself in any way I wanted to. In Ecclesiastes, um, King Solomon has has those resources to, to really indulge himself with work and money, education, 
vanity, um, projects, sex, the arts, whatever you can think of. And what does he find at the end of it all? Not freedom, but slavery. He becomes a slave to chasing after meaning and satisfaction through those things. But true freedom is found in serving one another humbly in love. So how can we do this? Well, we can invest in friendships with one another. That's one of the reasons we had guess who's coming to dinner yesterday. Hands up if you went for dinner at someone's yesterday. We had a great time. Ask each other how you got on over morning tea. But um, men especially are terrible at friendships. But we can serve each other greatly if we can be for one another the trusted person whom you can tell how you're really going who you can pray for, who you can hold accountable, who you can listen to, and who you can just have a laugh with. Or perhaps you could think about forming a prayer triplet uh, with two other people that you can really trust. So that you know you always have that, that safety net of bringing even the darkest corners of your life to God in prayer. Or find someone to read the Bible with one-to-one. Find someone at a life stage ahead of you to mentor you. Uh, there's a book by Tim Chester, which I can recommend, called You Can Change. And he puts it like this. God is using different people, the contrasting personalities in your church, to change your heart. He's using the difficult people. The, you're not, I'm not looking at anyone here. He's using the difficult people, the annoying people, the sinful people. He's placed you together so you can rub off each other's rough edges. It's as if God has put us like rocks into a bag and is shaking us about so that we collide with one another. Sometimes sparks fly, but gradually we become beautiful, smooth gemstones. Remember, the next time someone is rubbing you up the wrong way, God is smoothing you down. God has given you that person in his love as a gift to make you holy. It's good, isn't it? Serve one another humbly in love. That's true freedom. That's walking by the Spirit. My next heading is stepping out. Stepping out, looking at verses 16 to 21. So verse 18 says, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Because it's worth pausing and checking ourselves. What do we think that means? And does it line up with what the Bible means by that? I think often people, people think this means that the Spirit leads us in various ways um, about the decisions he would like us to make daily and about personal choices like career, uh, marriage, major purchases. Um, so sometimes people think it's the idea of just sitting there and waiting, not making a decision until God's told you exactly what to do. I've heard it, um, a US pastor described it as the Cheerios method of being led, because he'd sit at breakfast, asking the Spirit to give him a message. The trouble was he always had Cheerios for his breakfast, so the message was always, ooh. <laughs> now, there's lots, I could do a whole talk, series of talks about 
how we should look for guidance, how God wants us to look for guidance. But here's a short version. In the Bible, there are very clear things we definitely should do. There are very clear things we definitely shouldn't do. There are clear priorities we should have. And then there's heaps of freedom of what's wise, and then stuff that it's just, what do you want to do? God's given you your personality. What do you want to do? What do you prefer? So being led by the Spirit here isn't talking so much about guidance. What it's talking about, and in the Bible, generally being led by the Spirit is about being led into God's big plan of salvation. See, what's the Holy Spirit's primary job in the Bible? If you look through all of it, the Holy Spirit's primary role is to keep leading us back to Jesus, to trusting in him for salvation. And we'll see next week as well how the Holy Spirit leads us to serve one another humbly in love. Now, of course, if God wants to, he can talk to us directly through his Spirit. But the problem is, if we think being led by the Spirit is about lining up personal, everyday decisions with God's will, then we'll tend to think that if life is a struggle, then we've gone the wrong way, we've not taken his lead. But actually, according to the Bible, if we do follow the Spirit's lead, struggle is exactly what we should expect. Because the Spirit leads us into conflict. Spirit leads us into all-out war. So looking at verses 16 and 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. The Spirit leads us into conflict with our own desires. So the normal Christian experience is that until the day we die, we'll want to do things we should not do. But we're always going to feel the pull of the Spirit away from those things. So before we were born again, we were at war with God and at peace with ourselves in the world. But now it's reversed. We're at war with ourselves and at peace with God. So before we were at war with God and at peace with ourselves, now we're at war with ourselves and at peace with God. God's Spirit in us gives us a new heart, brings Jesus to us by faith, meaning we've got a new agenda, new loyalty, new set of priorities going in the opposite direction to what us and our own, our flesh, would want. And verse 16, there's a promise. It's a strongly worded promise that you will not there. It's got the sense of, if you walk by the Spirit, you will in no way, not a chance, absolutely not, fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit isn't like an everlasting stalemate. The Spirit has your heart and he promises to empower you to resist and put off those desires of the flesh. Not in a rule-following, um, under-the-law kind of way, but by changing your heart so that increasingly your heart's desire 
is to be like Jesus. So to illustrate this, now this is going to make me look smart, and I'm really not, and I don't know anything about classical mythology except these two stories. So there's a story of Odysseus. All right? He and his men had to sail past the sirens. The sirens could sing irresistibly and enchant sailors so much that they'd smash into the rocks and die listening to this singing. So to resist this, Odysseus, he did like the law thing. He stuffed his, his, his and his men's ears with beeswax and had, him t- and had his men tie him to the mast until he'd sailed past the irresistible singing danger. So that's like the law. But Orpheus, when he went past, he got out his guitar and belted out his greatest hits drowning out the temptation of the sirens with more beautiful music so they didn't care what the sirens were doing. See, the Spirit brings us Jesus, grows our love of him so that increasingly our heart's desire is for him more than it is for ourselves, for our flesh. So I want to encourage you, if you are feeling the weight of struggle against sin, That is the normal Christian experience. And it shows that the Spirit is working in you. If you are not struggling with a particular sin right now, it's not because you haven't got any. It's just that you need help from the Spirit to point it out and help you overcome it. And let me encourage you, don't give up. Don't despair. The promise of the Spirit's help isn't like a weather forecast, you know, it may or may not turn out that way. It's a promise from God. He is in you, you do have his help, and he will, in the end, prevail. So to help us get our heads around this led by the Spirit versus the flesh, Paul gives us two lists to compare and contrast. What the results of indulging in the flesh are, and what the Spirit produces in us to keep us in step, for us to keep in step with. So, verse 19. Now, these are pretty R18 rated, aren't they? But I think the point here is that these, in the Galatian context at least, are just ordinary, everyday sins. They're not a special category. But here we go. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. So, sexuality expressed outside marriage. Uh, in a self-indulgent way, turning the good gift of sex into something that makes us selfish, insecure, and takes over our identity. Impurity and debauchery, so the excess of a books or hen show, the weekend away where no one is watching. Verse 20, idolatry, elevating good things to be ultimate things, giving them God's place. Uh, And witchcraft, so... I don't think there's any casting spells or anything like that, but um, pagan ways of thinking, um, of manipulating enough bits of life, even evil things, to make things go our way. Um, Avoiding what we fear instead of trusting God. Uh, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Uh, Just another day in Parliament, and the... (laughs) 
the increasingly desperate behaviours we react with when, we, when people stop us getting the desires of our flesh or doing a better job of their own than we do. Uh, drunkenness and orgies, the ways we distract and numb ourselves to cope with the emptiness, including our, indulging in our flesh results in, and the like. So, you know, this isn't everything. It's not an exhaustive list. So it's not a pretty picture, is it? And it comes with a warning. I warn, verse 21, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't saying we fall in and out of salvation because we can all look at that list and find something on it that we've done since we've been Christian. But as I said this last week, you see verse 21 is like a warning sign on a cliff. The sign doesn't mean you are going to fall off. Uh, it's not at the bottom of the cliff telling you that you have fallen off. It's at the top of the cliff to help make sure that you don't fall off. So, so these warnings are one of the ways that God ensures our salvation is certain. So doing that wrong thing isn't going to stop you getting to heaven if you're a Christian. But if you keep going back to that wrong thing you will increasingly harden your heart to God. And eventually, the danger is, you just forget about all God altogether. And that is losing your salvation. So, regularly, do yourself an uncomfortable audit against that, those, those activities. Heed the warning and back away. Uh, next, keeping in step with the Spirit. So this is point three, keeping in step, looking at verses 22 to 26. Uh, Paul describes what the Spirit in us produces. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So it's one fruit, singular, the fruit there is singular, and that fruit is all those things. I notice it's fruit. It doesn't say the dramatic, rapid transformation, instant injection of the Spirit. Fruit is something that grows gradually, so gradually that you can't discern it growing with the naked eye. Um, so, for example, I still feel guilty about when Sharon was pregnant with Owen, our middle one. See, my mum bumped into Sharon at the shops and saw that Sharon looked so ill that she insisted she go to hospital right there and then. And it turns out she had preeclampsia. But because I'd been with her every day, the change in her had been very gradual, and I hadn't noticed. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit's promise to us that he will grow us in holiness, holiness make us more like Jesus, and the norm will be that it is gradual, the result of small victories forged in the battle against our flesh. We can expect the Spirit to keep gradually producing this fruit in us because when we began with him, he put us in good standing, reinforcements at the ready in our battle with sin. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires crucified the flesh that's our spiritual reality the power of sin to enslave us has been dealt with harshly 
And we'll always have to battle against our desire to sin in this life, but it's a battle that is ultimately being won for us. Charles Wesley puts it like this in one of his hymns. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. And our part in this, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is growing in us. Um, and it's like our, those fruits, that fruit is like our dance steps or, or walking guide set out by the Spirit for us. And since the Spirit has dealt with our flesh harshly, since the Spirit gives us life and fruit, let us keep in step with the Spirit by also dealing with our flesh harshly. Crucifying our sinful desires, it says. It doesn't say put our, our sinful desires in, in a spare room or in a memory box, planning to go back and revisit them when no one's looking. We need to walk in the Spirit proactively. So, for example, Sharon and I are going away tomorrow to Gold Coast. Now, so today I'll pack my bag. Um, we've made arrangements for getting to and from the airport. We've booked flights. We've checked the weather. I've prepared for it proactively to join in with what is going to happen. So the time to deal with that sin that you keep falling back into is not when you're about to do it. A better plan is to identify your pattern of indulgence. What leads you to that point? And with the help of the Spirit and other Christians who love you, walk another way. And that might mean drastic measures. It might mean losing friends, changing hobbies, uh, getting a dumb phone instead of a smartphone. <laughs> All to walk in step with the Spirit, empowered by Him, clearing the weeds to encourage His fruit to grow. And walking in step with the Spirit means submitting to His rule, to His word, His word that we know through the Scriptures. See, fruitfulness is not a new idea in the Bible. Uh, in Psalm 1, it says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in, this, in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, uh, stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. I don't mean to confuse you with law there. Law in the context of this psalm means God's word more generally, God's instruction. But fruitfulness is there. Is that what you're doing? Are you feeding the growth of the Spirit by reading and obeying God's word in the Bible? The Spirit's words recorded for us. We need to surrender to God's will. Keep trusting in Jesus to save us and grow us to produce more fruit by the Holy Spirit. To sum up then, what have we seen? Keeping in step with the Spirit means sticking with that original gospel message that he began you with. Never adding to 
or moving on from Jesus. See, this passage and others about the Holy Spirit are often taught in such a way to leave you feeling that there's a next level spirit-filled Christianity that you need to reach for, a better experience than the one you're having. And in the end, that kind of teaching becomes just like the circumcision for salvation nonsense that the Galatians were being conned with. The great irony is, teaching like that achieves exactly the opposite of the Spirit's real purpose and work to keep pointing us to Jesus and trusting in him alone for salvation. So keeping in step with the Spirit means sticking with that original gospel message. And keeping in step with the Spirit means fellowship with each other as church, serving one another humbly in love. And keeping in step with the Spirit means daily walking into a fight, into a conflict with your sinful desires. A fight in a battle ultimately already won. Walking away from acts of the flesh towards acts of love. Keeping in step with the Spirit means trusting in Him to give you life, to grow fruit in you that will gradually transform you to be more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Spirit. Thank you that through him you brought us to believe. Through him you'll keep transforming us more and more into the likeness of your Son. Please help us to keep putting off those desires of the flesh, to war against them, and keep walking in the Spirit. Please keep us holding on to Jesus, never trusting in anyone or anything else to bring us to you for eternity of right relationship. Amen.